Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. Brad is not with us this week. I do have the Marquis de Suede, though. Yes, I am here. I was a delayed response. I forgot that I'm Suede. Yes, that's you, you dumbass. And we have our special guests here, Diamanda Hagen. I'm one person. I'm not two. I'm not a special guest. Well, that was a slip of my tongue. Sorry. Slip of your tongues? My tongues, yes. I'm sure your tongue is great at many things, but saying the word guest is not one of them. Hey, it's been in worse places, I'll tell you that. To stick to that line of of reasoning, go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, a free mystery gift, and free U.S. shipping, which someone like Diamanda can only use when she's in the U.S. with her wife, right? Yep. And I currently am, although... When this airs, you won't be. This is true. Although I might be, you never know, because apparently I'm going to be coming back and forth over the summer and stuff, so... But uh, eventually, my wife is going to be moving to the UK, so I may be over here a lot less. But if she's over in the UK, that would mean that we're able to probably have me stay up very, 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 very late to talk to you wonderful people. Yeah, because... You guys might notice the only time Diamanda ever comes on the show is when she's in the U.S. Because otherwise, when we normally record the show, it's like, what, four in the morning for you? Something like that? Uh, Yeah, I, my laptop is constantly on uh, British time, and it's 4.21 right now. It's a little inconvenient when she's not in the U.S., but she's always welcome on the show when she's over in the States or in Merca. Yeah, as, as As some of the stupid crap we were talking about before we started the show shows we are still murka <laughs> every country has its shit to be embarrassed by yeah but we seem to have more than you do let's put it that way only because you're very far away and grass is greener on the other side of the fence now do you mean grass or grass oh, i mean the the famous figure of speech the grass is greener on the other side of the fence i was not talking about marijuana oh uh, well because I, I know alex likes to get high as much as he can right alex no, I don't. Oh, sorry, I was confusing you with McMullen. Yeah, he does that like crazy. Considering that we're just rambling here, the topic I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight is the internet and movies. Do you think that the internet, just in general, we'll talk about the specific pros and cons down the line, but in general, do you think the internet has made it, has made movie going, and I don't mean like going out to a movie, but movie going as in watching a movie, do you think it's made it easier or more difficult? Much, 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 much easier. Well, you can order films online. You don't have to rely on shops having a particular selection. Imagine having to rely on uh, Walmart or Target for all the films that you want to watch, and they only cover a very small range of what is possibly out there. When you've got the internet, you can order stuff from any number of websites. You could even do the more piratey-ish type things. You could also even got, not just for watching, you've got like, Netflix and Hulu and stuff, You can the variety of what you can watch is much bigger, and when you can watch it is massive. Plus, even with things like Kickstarter, you can put money towards seeing the sort of offbeat crazy shit that you want to see in a movie and not have to rely on big studios. So it made indie films making much easier, so go internet. Do you remember the days when you had to look in the newspaper to find out what was playing at the theater? 
Look who yeah. you're asking. Of course I do. Yeah, I'm glad those days are behind us. Yeah, Josh remembers. Kinda, okay, in a weird way, and I know this is pure nostalgia glasses, I did kind of like that. You get the paper and the, you quick flip through. My wife still fo- she found an old paper from 1980, the week that Flash Gordon debuted. I'm just like, oh, that was just, I remember that. I remember seeing that that Flash Gordon ad. It, it, it There is a certain nostalgia to that, but I can see how that's lost on the modern audience. I can. Well, nostalgia, modern audiences get nostalgia. The trick is to separate out nostalgia from trying to look at it objectively. Harder to, to watch things back then. It was, and it was easier, I think, because there are still there are movies today that do not have. And let's just leave piracy out for right now. Well, that's something we're definitely going to talk about later. Legally. There are still so many movies that do not have a streaming or DVD release that used to be staples of HBO and Cinemax and the movie channel or that 3 a.m. UHF broadcast. I remember going through the card catalog. That tells you how old this was. The card catalog at one of the TV stations I used to work at. And I looked at all the movies that they aired in 1988. That was the, the one card catalog they still had for whatever reason. And I'm going, that's not out on DVD, that's not out on DVD, that's out of print, and I'm just going through this whole list going, they showed all these cool movies that you legally cannot find anywhere anymore. So in a way, I think it kind of was easier. Does that make sense? Well, you're sort of mixing up the you know individual cases with uh, the, the in general. You know, you got you know you can separate it. If you find out these individual movies that you can't find anymore, but you could find back then, you know, I'll invent a hypothetical one. Josh's House of Fucks. You could find Josh's House of Fucks anywhere there, and you can't find it now. However, in general, most films are much easier to find now than they were then. Uh, that movie title. Oh, that was just to spite <laughs> you, wasn't it, Josh? <laughs> it made me well, smile, so... I'm de- well, I realize I'm playing Brad. Yeah, but, I mean, it made me smile, so that's not bad. <laughs> but thanks to the internet, those movies that are out of print and hard to find are actually not that hard to find. Well, I mean, you could always, you know, grab a VHS off eBay or try and find a Laserdisc or something for the legal. Like I said, right now we're just talking the legal area of doing this. You can still find them, but they're far more difficult. I mean, I, I worked with somebody, and this was six years ago, who didn't even have a VCR anymore. He was straight DVD, Blu-ray didn't exist or wasn't really strong yet at this point. And there was some movie he was talking about he wanted to see again. And I said, oh, I've got that on VHS. He gave me this snobbish, I'd rather not see it again than see it on VHS. There is still sort of a snobbery towards having to go to an old format that I think the internet both engenders and takes apart. Because VHS obviously has had a huge comeback. That's the LPs of the 90s. The 90s was the big vinyl comeback. The 2000s is the VHS comeback. But I do know people that don't even have a VCR anymore that if they did want to see that movie, they could get the VHS off of eBay, but doesn't mean they could watch it. I don't have well, a VCR anymore. Well, like you, like you were saying, the uh, take, uh, Whenever a type of technology has just become obsolete, or you know, thought of as obsolete, then it becomes everyone gives a shit, you know, shits on it for like 10, 15 years. However, afterwards, you get nostalgia comes back, and so therefore it comes back. That's what you have with vinyl, and you're having with VHS now. But just in general, it's a lot easier to find films than it was. Now compare 
for instance, uh, you're, you're talking about the heyday of the 80s. Compare the eight, early 80s with, uh, say, 1930. If you're looking at an individual case, such as London After Midnight, then 1930 is going to you know, have find it much easier to find London After Midnight than 1980 because the film ceased to exist sometime in the 50s. So, however, if you're talking in general, it's much easier to find films in the 80s than it is in the 30s. Does that, that make sense? Y- yes, it does. And that's why I, I did preface this entire rant of mine on there is nostalgia that's yeah. clouding my judgment. But you can't ignore the fact that staying in the legal area, that there are all these movies that used to be staples of late night TV that you just there. There's no distributor for them for DVD or in some cases, no one knows who owns the damn things anymore. So a DVD or a Netflix release is highly unlikely. So there are these movies that are, for lack of a better way to put it, lost to this new generation. And they will eventually not be lost because if you don't know who owns something for long enough, it'll become public domain. Eventually. Yeah, but, but, but that's down. But yeah, th- that's that's down the line. Eventually, uh, and the way they're they're screwing with copyright might even be out of our lifetime by the time well, that with, happens. Well, you know, th- there are loopholes to have something enter public domain early. Look at Knife uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. No, the Night Living Dead. Yeah, th- they forgot to copyright it because they're morons. Even though it's yeah. a brilliant movie. Yeah, and if you don't know who owns something, then no one copyrights it, and therefore it will become public domain probably quicker than it would if you just let it age. My thoughts on the nostalgia factor of it? Oh, what Diamanda and I are talking about. Are you even part of this episode Yes, I tonight? am part of this Alex, just tell me I'm a genius. <laughs> She's a genius. You suck up. <laughs> Very good. What, what about, and again, this is, I'm looking at this, through nostalgia, but not... Not necessarily, although I have a feeling, Diamanda, you'll disagree with me on this. The snobbery that comes with 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 the internet allowing and DVD allowing better quality widescreen prints, things like that, that people are too snobbish over what they get. Again, sticking to the legal area for the moment, that when they get a DVD, maybe it's sourced off of the Laserdisc, maybe it's not digitally remastered. You hear all these people bitching and moaning that it doesn't look as crystal clear as Blu-ray when it was some low-budget film shot in 1986 that was shot on 16mm. Do you think that that the quality of the internet has sort of spoiled the Um, modern generation of moviegoer? I'd suggest that's got less to do with people being spoiled and more like the people you're complaining about being idiots. But I see this so often it can't just be a small faction of idiots. It can be a big faction of idiots. That's true. But I, I see that all the time, and then you, you do see them when they when they try and make something that was not really shot all that clean to begin with, cleaner, like with digital noise reduction, they make it ugly. They, they make it disgusting, like like the, the original Predator Blu-ray, there's so much digital noise reduction, they all look like wax dummies of themselves talking. It, it's I hideous. I haven't seen that. Do you have any screen grabs? Not handy. No. But, you, you know, you've got things like that, and... Now this, pure nostalgia, pure nostalgia, to me, like an old Hammer Dracula movie, looks better on a beat-up, scratched-up, faded, full-frame mono print than it does digitally remastered, widescreen, looking gorgeous in full stereo, because that makes me think of seeing this at 3 a.m. on a stormy night when I should be going to bed to get ready for school. So that's pure nostalgia to me. There's a couple of possibilities about that. 
it's that's the way you're used to seeing it. So if you see it cleaned up, then it's unusual. It looks off. It looks weird. So that's possible. And the other thing is, God damn it, I forgot what I was going to mention. There was something else. God damn it, it's too late. Yeah, sure. I just I found one of the the pictures from Blu-ray, the Predator Blu-ray, and holy fuck, that looks weird. Yeah, because there's so much digital noise reduction, they've actually taken all of the grain out of the film, and it looks like it was shot on on like a a high-end red camera today, and the movie's not supposed to look like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not supposed to. But yeah, I'm thinking it's something to do with what you're used to. You saw it in a particular way. If you see it in more detail, then it looks off to you. It just looks weird. It might not have something to do with how it was originally shot. It might be more of your perception. Not quite the same thing, but I remember the version of Spaceballs that I, you know, saw when I was the original version I saw was the censored version with all the swearing cut out. You know, Tim Russ's cameo saying, we ain't found shit, no, wasn't there. So when I finally saw the uncut version, the film is off. It doesn't seem, it doesn't feel right to me. It's like the, the jokes were there without the, without the swearing. So it just feels like they're unnecessarily and they've been added and it feels artificial. And I, I realize I'm watching the original version of it, but it's my perception, but it's, it seems off to me. So you might be having something similar, but about the visuals of the film. But do you think that has to do with, with the internet and, and sort of the culture we have now? Because if you look at like DVD reviews today, you know, go to DVD verdict, DVD talk, whatever, all they do is whine about how bad some prints of movies look. And I look at that and go, that movie has, that movie looks more beautiful than it ever has before. And you're bitching because it doesn't look like a Blu-ray. To me, I think that's part of the internet culture. They've gotten too used to the arguable perfection of what a Blu-ray looks like that anything less is substandard. I wouldn't say that's necessarily the internet as much as the next generation in general. Yeah, there are reviews of those DVDs on the internet, but that's generally the perspective of those people, those under 20 people. I, I think it's got more to do with how people are. People, people can be really stupid. I'm not entirely sure it's the internet which causes any of it or anything like that. It's just the newest form of it. Well, then moving on to the another aspect of internet and movies, do you think having access to all these movies sort of dulls the quality of the film? When, when you've got, like when Brad and I were growing up, we had late night cable on HBO and Cinemax and all that, and we didn't really care whether the movie was really that good. It had a cool car chase, it had some tits, some people got killed, that was a cool movie. Now you can see that everywhere. I've seen people that oh, this movie looks terrible, I'm going to download it. Back when, when, when Brad and I were coming up, we didn't have this, I want to watch this movie because it looks so bad. I want to watch this because it looks like it's got a bunch of boobs and a bunch of guys get shot, there's no story, it's awesome. Now people are watching it for what I consider the wrong reason. Sort of that hipster, it's so bad, it's good. That you didn't have as much until the internet, or did I just miss it pre-internet? Uh, you must have missed it because I was. That's why I would watch certain things on TV. I'm like, I've heard bad things about this movie. I am setting a date to watch this. Yeah, but, pretty much. Agreed. Then, do you think I'm just being overly sensitive, or like an old man stuck in a certain time period that I'm not understanding the the way the internet culture views movies? Because I mean, to me, I, I would get excited to see. Oh my God, horror of Dracula's on tonight. 
and I'd be like, yeah, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee fighting Dracula. And nowadays I see people going, hey, Horror of Dracula is on Netflix. This movie is terrible. You guys are going to love it. Well, that's just different people's opinions. I don't think it's necessarily the internet. Yeah, and it's entirely possible that, you know, you had a good time watching, you know, the films, which may be good, may be bad, but you're looking back and uh, you're you're projecting uh, your feel, good feelings on the entire way things were run, and you feel that people are missing something now when actually they can still see the same stuff you saw and probably more. But to a degree, am I wrong in the fact that when you did not have instant access, when you did not have the entire however many movies are on Netflix that you can watch at any time you want, when you had to wait two, three years between airings on TV of The Fog, that you appreciated it more than I can just download The Fog anytime I want. That it, it was it, it made it a better movie when you went, they haven't shown this in two years. It's on tonight. I have to watch this, not I'll just download it. This is not quite the same thing, but it sounds a little bit like you're evoking an old trope of uh, suffering makes things better. That, you know, you've worked for something and therefore you appreciate it more, which honestly, I pretty much think is bullshit. If you can have good things all the time and a variety of good things all the time, I'd much rather have that than have to wait and slave and work to get, you know, a good thing every so often. And if some appreciation is lost because you can get good things all the time, frankly, that's worth it because I can get good stuff all the time. I'm going to agree with you because I don't watch movies. You're going to agree with her because you're a suck-up. No, no. Leave me (laughs) out, Josh. I don't watch movies again that often. Most of the time you've watched it once, that's enough. You know, I'll catch a repeat viewing if it happens to be on TV. But if I want to watch a movie for the first time, it's great to have the convenience to do that immediately. I, I know I am stuck in an older time with the stuff I'm, I've been saying tonight. I think that this instant access has spoiled people. Like you brought up Diamanda, you'd rather have everything at the drop of a, at the touch of a button rather than have to work or wait for it just because it it makes you happier. Fine, fair enough. I think it also makes you, whether you intend it to, or even if you you don't notice it, it makes you you entitled to it. You, You start to feel entitled because I think it was last month when Netflix lost, what was it, 2,000 movies or something like that? I heard all these people whining, Oh my god, then why is it even worth Netflix if these movies aren't always going to be here? Blah, blah, blah. And it just rung to me of these spoiled little bastards that are so used to always having it there, they can't imagine not having it there. It sounds like you're pissed off because they had a setup that was better than, than you had, and now they've lost that, so you're pissed off at them for complaining because you had it worse off than them. I say, I, except, see, I don't think I had it worse off. I would have much rather come up when I did with the video store era, the late night cable, the UHF channels, the things like that. I, I actually prefer having come up as a movie fan well, then than I would now, I think. My first you know, film collection was VHS. I, uh, I started collecting films in VHS. I'm, you know, I'm you know, 30 years old. So and I'm 38. So you know I'm not I'm not as quite as you know I, I'm. Well, I'm not trying to pigeonhole you as the young. You're just younger than me. That's all. Yeah, we're we're both part of the same generation that grew up with VHS. I just think that we've got it better now than we've ever had it. 
I used to have a huge VHS collection, and whenever I had to move, packing all those up and uh, the shelves, they were all on. Now, you have a sack full of flash drives, and I'm good. And see, the collector in me would want to nut punch you for that. I want the boxes, I want the tapes, the DVDs, the laser discs. I don't want a flash drive full of movies. You're that a masochist. to me is not a movie collection. You are a masochist, Josh. Well, I, I like this now. Well, I like having a massive collection. Although space is an issue, so my uh, film collection is basically like an extended rental scheme. Uh, I buy films, watch them, and uh, every so often I go through my collection and find stuff to sell because I don't have enough space for all of them. I got, I got some VHS that I, that I held on to. Uh, definitely not do the flash drive thing, but dude, we're when it comes to film collection, living in a golden age. You know, it's it's not it's not perfect. Then it'd be a platinum age, but. It's pretty damn good. Well, then let's move into what everyone thinks is the bad part. And this is the part where I'm going to switch sides. I think the piracy issue, I love the fact that if the movie is not commercially available on Netflix, that there's no DVD release, etc., like all those movies we were talking about at the beginning of the show, I love the fact that I can go on Pirate Bay or Cinemageddon and find VHS copies of these. Or, or in some cases, you find a lot of foreign TV rips that are widescreen when even the VHS or the Laserdisc was not. I think that's a good thing, and it also, in a weird way, makes you feel sort of, you know, I've got something I'm not supposed to have, doesn't it? Piracy, um, honestly, I, I don't think piracy is the right word for it. You're not stealing anything. You're making a copy and the original's still there. They, they really need a new word, a different word for it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's entirely ethical because nothing has been stolen. And even like you know, that's the same sort of view that uh, like uh, Lloyd Kaufman has. He deliberately, he, like I was at Tromadance last year, and he del- he mentioned how he deliberately put a bunch of their films every single time they, they release films. He rip, takes ripped copies of them and puts them online himself because this gives them publicity. More people are going to buy them if they see them and download and they, they like them or think they're so they want to buy them. It's the same reason that he put a bunch of them on YouTube. That's yeah, I was just going to bring that up. I, didn't he just release a good chunk of the Troma Library free to YouTube? Yep, and they get they get the ad was, revenue. I thought it was all of them. I couldn't quite. remember if it was all or just a large chunk. Not quite all of them, but a big chunk. And Troma, although you know they're very anti-corporate, and that's one of the reasons that they never really make much money. They, I think that the way they're doing things is honestly, it's the way of the future. As little as I like it, physical items when it comes to uh, movies and things are going to be leave. They're going to be phased out. However, they're going to still remain in little bits like collector's editions. Yeah, yeah, but like like the way you've got all the VHS tapes that are making a comeback. You've got you know you got Slaughter Tales coming out on VHS. They re-released Toxic Avenger on VHS. House of the Devil was on VHS. There's The Basement came out on VHS. There were, there was all these VHS releases. Yes, they're specialty items and things like that, but they're made for people like me who. Mm-hmm. That VHS is really, really cool to have on the shelf. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like you in that way. I like to have the, you know, things. And if I get like a bigger place, I will happily start collecting some VHSs again. For instance, I think that sitcoms, especially British sitcoms and uh, and horror movies, look better on VHS because VHS hides a lot of sins. It hides a lot of the fuck ups and the visuals and stuff. Where the makeup wasn't good or the sets weren't good, and some films that really benefit from that. Oh, yeah. There, there are some movies that were made in the 70s or 80s that 
the Blu-ray HD treatment is not kind to because the, they, they were relying on the film grain to hide the mat lines or things like that. And without that there, you can just see how bad some of the special effects look. Pretty sure I mentioned this whenever we talked about The Hobbit, but uh, the Star Trek, I haven't seen it on Blu-ray or anything, but, you know, some of the t- TV Star Trek on DVD, the makeup is really, really bad looking. The classic series, you mean? No, I'm thinking Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, well, I'm sure it's even worse on the next generation Blu-rays. I'm yeah. sure I'm sure those are even noticed, more noticeable because those had lower budgets. And those were shot on lower quality video. That's the other thing. When something's shot on videotape, or like those early Next Generations, Friday the 13th, the series, things like that, or even like a soap opera. I'm fairly sure Star Trek The Next Generation was shot on film. Yeah, those are, that first season sure as hell didn't look like it. I'm fairly sure it was. You know, I could be wrong. It's okay. I, I could be wrong, too. I, I just, those early episodes look shot on video. Because they don't look any different than a Friday the 13th, the series, or a, or a War of the Worlds. And I, and I know those were shot on video. And I'll just use the word piracy because that's the the buzzword right now. That the piracy, using that that buzzword, do you think it it really does open up more people to a movie, or do you think it it hurts? And I'm not talking about the movie business, but do you think it hurts the movies and their enjoyment that people? That I think this goes back to the entitlement part. That I know a lot of people that that would say, you know what? I'm not going to go see Iron Man 3, but if I can find a bootleg of it, sure, I'll watch it. Do you think that helps or hurts? I think that only hurts you because bootleg cam copies of movies just look terrible. You are cheating yourself out of a movie. Just wait for the DVD, Josh. I don't have any interest in Iron Man 3. Shut up. I mean, 3D gives you a headache. The the horrible cam copies are going to give you a friggin' heart attack. You know, you've got people talking during the movie and it looks like yeah. crap you've never Just, seen a really good high-end bootleg what, what, this what? was a good high-end bootleg oh I no no, it no from a pregnant woman at a bar once oh no 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 jowski no what we used to do back when i worked at the movie theater is you'd show the movie after hours in an empty theater and set up the camcorder and so you wouldn't have anyone talking and you would have the screen entirely filled up, widescreen, and you would just route the sound directly in. You can get really high-end bootlegs if you know someone that works at the theater and is willing to go down that road with you. Did I just say too much? Possibly. Um, anyone you know that works in cinema is now in trouble. Ah, screw him. I don't work there anymore. Well, well how was that guy in Night of the Comet bootlegging boots <laughs> out the back door of the theater? The guy in Night of the Comet was actually loaning out the prints, and they were making a dupe print of it. Yes. I don't know if the, that sort of thing is really harming it. All I know, I to my, to, as far as I can recall, I have only ever watched one cam recording of a film that was, and that was because it hadn't come out in the UK yet, and that was uh, the first Saw. And all I know is that fi- the, the, I was not going to see it in the cinema. I was just like, okay, it's a horror movie. I'll watch it. I watched the, the cam version of it. Fan. The first Saw was, as far as I'm concerned, still one of the most interesting horror movies made in, you know, years. And, you know, the, just deciding to watch the cam version of it, because it hadn't come out in the country yet, made me a fan of the series, made me buy the entire box set of the series. And in the film, I was not planning to see it in the cinema. Then, therefore, if I saw the first the Saw, I, th- I would have seen it at some point. 
and maybe I would have, you know, freaked out about it as much. Probably not, because I probably would have seen it years later when there was like five sequels and I, I would have been jaded, or I probably would have seen a sequel first. So for myself, I don't see how cams really damage the film. If the person was going to be the sort of person who was going to like the film in the cinema, then they're gonna not going to be affected by the cam. And it, the person who doesn't want to see it in the cinema, at worst, you've you know you've lost a sale that wasn't there to begin with. Yeah, because that that was kind of the argument that they that they tried to use when the Angley Incredible Hulk got leaked online. They leaked a uh, work print got leaked out. I think two weeks before before the uh, movie came out in theaters. Do you mean X Men Origins Wolverine? No, that one too, as well as Jowski. Uh, he just did the sequel, but uh, Hostel Two. All of their directors blamed the poor box office on people could see it for free online. My argument is the people who were going to see a crappy, unfinished version of the film online were ne- and, th- and then failed to buy a ticket were never going to buy a ticket in the first place. Honestly, it was the it was seeing the work print of uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine that made me go to see X-Men Origins Wolverine in the cinema. Terrible film. Fucking awful. However, as a you know, I was studying film production at the time, so I wanted to see the differences between the work print and the finished movie. And see, I saw the work print and went, yeah, I knew this was going to be crap anyway, but this is worse than I thought. I'm just talking the story and acting. And I just yeah. said, you know what? I don't care enough to see the final version. I just don't care. Well, so they were never going to get a ticket sale out of me to begin with. Well, they got one out of me because I wanted to see technically what was different. Well, I was never going to see Wolverine Origins. I think I watched it on DVD at somebody's house when it was on, so I didn't even bother watching the work print. But there are a lot of times where I've downloaded a movie and got, and then went out and bought it on DVD because the one thing that downloads don't always give you are these special features. They, they rarely do unless you find a, a complete uh, DVD rip. Yeah, you don't get the commentary. You don't get the... You don't, you don't get anything. Like right now, just the day we're recording this, I just grabbed a copy of Attack on Wall Street, the new Uwe Boll film that I've been looking forward to. Remember when we had him on the show, he, he talked about he was making that. And you know what? I'm probably going to like it. Even if I don't, I'm probably still going to buy the film because I'm going to want to hear his commentary track. So me seeing it early like this, it's not going to cost Dr. Bull any, any sales on my end. It's probably going to make me even more eager to buy the movie when it does come out. I'm probably not going to see Assault in Wall Street. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm probably going to watch it on Netflix. I just find Uwe Ball's films to be quite irritating. I, I really like, okay, I, I really like, and yes, you can shoot me in the head for this, I like Alone in the Dark, I loved Rampage. You know what? The guys on Postal, I thought Postal was hilarious the way it was supposed to be. I think the guys really come around. I mean, yeah, I hated House of the Dead. I thought that was one of the worst films I've ever seen. But I think the guy made some decent flicks down the down the road. You could just stay away from the Blood Rain franchise. I watch a lot of terrible movies for my review show, but his stuff is just so generically bad. It's not even as uh, as happily, obliviously bad as, say, Ed Wood's stuff. It's just it's a mixture of just generically bad and him him not giving a shit. Well, you brought up your review show. Do you think that, being on the internet, do you think that's changed your viewing habits? I mean, a lot of the movies you watch on your show, would you have watched anyway? Or do you specifically go, okay, I ran across such and such movie. 
this is perfect for my show, so I'm going to watch it and, and you know find out the background, the behind the scenes and all that. Or if you just saw that movie at the video store, would you have gone, meh, and kept walking? Well, my review show is sort of, it's, 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 it was created as a way to channel my interest in offbeat movies. So honestly, I probably would have watched every single movie in that that I've reviewed at some point. Most of the movies that I choose to review, I watch them and, you know, quite a lot, quite often they're, they're in my collection already. And I, you know, I, I wanted to hold on to them for that reason anyway. It's, I don't, I don't, you know, I never, I never go off looking for films just because I have the review show. It's, I have a pathological need to watch crazy movies, seek out stuff that people hadn't heard of and force them to watch it. Do you have the, since Jowski, you have a couple of different review shows. Do you feel the same way? Oh, yeah, especially with the, the creation ones I do of all the, like, offbeat films from Asia. A lot of those are movies I totally love, and it's me sharing my love for those movies with other people. But what about ones like when you're watching the antisocials with the terrible shot on shittios and the Hostel 3s and, and, you know, and Easter Bunny puppies? Would you have ever even considered any of those movies if you weren't trying to make a review out of them? Oh, yeah, I would have. I still would have eaten the hell out of a talking cat. Okay, leaving a talking cat out because Eric Roberts as a talking cat. Okay, fair enough. But I mean like an Easter Bunny puppy. I would have watched it. Have you ever seen uh, the minis? No, I haven't. I was in Canada and uh, Zed Regulus, uh, um, this guy from Ottawa, he came around and he had a bunch of DVDs, which I immediately sort of borrowed. And uh, But we watched one of the movies and it was the minis featuring Dennis Rodman and a team of little people having a basketball team together. I've heard of that. Oh, I, I've, I've heard not of seen this. it. I've heard awesome. of it. Yeah, I've heard of that one before, though. I have seen it, and I've, you know, I've tried to tell Obscura Lupa that she must review it because it's her sort of movie. But, um, yeah, it says it's everything you'd expect. Well, do you think that – and now maybe I am lumping you in with this, and maybe I'm not because there, there are certain reviewers like yourself, Brad – Maybe even Doug Walker, who everyone knows I have issues with. When when you guys say a movie's bad, the audience tends to side with you rather than making their own decision. But like when when Spoonie goes off on these bad Reb Brown movies, although he's doing it as they're awesome because they are, the audience has this idea in their head because they idolize these reviewers. Brad says this movie is terrible. It's terrible. Do you think that that they're having their mind made up for them by the reviewer? Or do you think that that they're even being influenced at all, whether they would have liked whatever well, piece of crap is currently, you know, on the roster? Well, it's, it's a bit unfair because, you know, for the movie, because the, unless the audience is seeing the movie fully by themselves, then there's no way for them to be objective about it themselves. All they really can do if they're going to take some sort of value judgment from the review is take, what the reviewer says but that's no different from what happened in the past with like newspaper reviewers or tv reviewers it's it's no different they they just have to read what the person has said or watch what they have said and then decide whether they take that as uh, quote-unquote gospel or not that's the that's the next thing i was going to ask is it was it any different than like brad and i watching siskel and ebert growing up you know what? In 90% of cases, I radically disagreed with what those two guys said. If you look at our Women in Danger special or even – I just recently watched the Siskel and Ebert where they first reviewed Phantasm 2 
they they couldn't say enough bad things about that movie. That's my favorite Phantasm. I, I don't you, I don't think that they influenced me so much as I went. You're a moron. Well, to be fair, you you at the time of watching that review, you probably when you're watching it for the first time, you probably didn't hadn't seen the film at that point. So you can all you could really take was the little clips and say what you thought based on those little clips, but you didn't see the full thing. Whenever you did see the full thing, then you had as much right to, uh, you know, yell at Ebert that he was wrong as he would to have about saying that you were wrong. But until you've both seen it, you know, one part, the audience is, has less of a firm grounding to say what they want about the film because they are seeing the parts of the film that the other people have chosen to show them. It's like a second, uh, you know, like a game of telephone. You're only getting the second version of the story. And do you think that's fair to the movie? Because in some cases... I, no, it's not. But it's impossible I, to do it on the other way. No, I, I disagree with that. Because I've seen, you know, some of the movies that Spoonie or Brad do. And, and, you know, I've seen them uncut. And the versions that they show you are actually better because they cut out a lot of the boredom and a lot of the tediousness that they kind of make, you know, a, a digest size version of the movie that's better than the actual film. In a weird way, they're selling the movie more than they're trying to ward you off from it in some cases. But you're still not seeing the original film, so you can't really make a comment about the original film without having seen it. So whether you end up liking it more or not, you, you'll still have had to see the original film before you can make a value judgment about the original film. Critics are critics. Um, I don't really look for an opinion from critics. I look for how they express their opinion and, you know, the stuff about the movie. A lot of times when approaching critics' material, you're looking at how they explain the movie and you're familiar with their likes and dislikes. So there's a lot of times with Siskel and Ebert, I'm like, they hated this movie. That means I like it. Yeah, with Siskel and Ebert, it tended to be if they hated a horror or sci-fi or an action film, that usually meant it was pretty good. If they loved... But- a Terrence Malick film usually meant I'm going to want to commit suicide or seppuku when this thing's over. But there are also <laughs> times where I agree with them about stuff they hate. Like North, yeah, I agree with them that, that that movie sucks. I hate, 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 hate that movie too. But they also hate, 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 hated Dune. And come on, it, well, it's not great, but it wasn't that bad. Well, first yeah, time Nordic. I watched that movie at 14, I didn't didn't get into it. I, I kind of would have sided with them. It wasn't until years later when I read the book and really got into the Frank Herbert universe of Dune that I really went back and appreciated David Lynch's movie. Yeah, but you you guys, you need to know have seen the film separately in order to make that judgment. All you can say based on someone else's version of it is what you think it looks like based on that, but you don't know what the actual film is like. It's a second-hand experience. Well, and then I also think it's even disingenuous, like what I did with It Came From Beyond Midnight, where I was showing full movies, full uncut movies that I, the me, Josh Hadley, really liked, but the me on camera was making fun of the movies. So I had some people go, you on Facebook are telling me this is an awesome movie, and then you on camera are telling me this is a piece of crap. You're kind of sending conflicting messages here and they're right i was with my review show generally i will take you know to use a british term take the piss you know for the entire time but then at the end i will give what i think about the film you know because 
for the majority, you know, the, the internet review, at least the sort of one I do, is I'm trying to entertain and exp- show you a, a film that I think is interesting, whether good or bad. And, you know, the review part of it, the quote-unquote review part of it, is actually quite small near the end. Yeah, I try to do three things with my videos. Entertain, tell you about a new film, and give you a review. The review is not, is not you know, the entire thing. When, when, you, when you write, let's just let's encompass all of what you just said as review just for, easiest, for ease, okay? Let's just say when you do review something like Island of Dr. Moreau, is that Diamanda Hagen the character? Do you write to the character or do you write to you? Um, I basically, from, from the very early, I decided to make the characters' likes and dislikes very similar to my own simply because I'm more three-dimensional than any character I could invent. So rather than tr- create a two-dimensional character who is going to possibly get stale easier, I just went from, you know, from, from my own likes. It's very similar to what most internet reviewers do. Because if you're going to do that many videos, it's going to get stale if you stick to an entirely fictional character. So with me, the likes and all are, are pretty much mine. Yeah, I, I generally write in my voice. And what I have to say about the movies that I review are my opinion of those. I'll review what's supposed to be a bad movie and I'll be like, hey, this, this movie was actually pretty good. Well, do you think like early internet buzz hurts uh, let's just say a big theatrical feature, the way critic or word of mouth buzz did in the in the pre and I know internet was around, but before it was common, the pre-internet days. Like, do you guys remember when Crow City of Angels came out? I remember when it came out. That's about it. I don't remember anything besides oh that they made a, a sequel. Well, they were under a press embargo or a critic embargo where they couldn't print their reviews until the day. That, that the movie opened, and so they got this huge box office weekend, and then word of mouth sank the movie. I think like the Monday after it opened, it had lost 70% of its business because everyone was telling people, this movie sucks. Do you think that's really changed in the era of the internet when Rotten Tomatoes, even before a movie opens, you've got all the people from foreign countries or or all the different critic sites who, who get a screener copy or see it at a press screening they, where it's already got only a 60%. Do you think that really makes a difference anymore? Remember the in the old days when you had the press embargo on reviews, it was almost always because the film was terrible and they were trying to make sure they got the big box office weekend before it just fucked up entirely. So... That, that, that that's true, but but you also get ones where they they really really want to keep some sort of a spoiler a spoiler free zone because I know the U.S. critics for Star Trek Into Darkness they had an embargo put on them that you can't reveal any plot points until it's been open so many weeks. So you still get that, and I don't think anyone was expecting Star Trek Into Darkness to tank, which you know at the time we're recording this it's not open, but I don't think it's going to. So it doesn't it always does. go like that. You, you you hope it tanks? Oh, yeah. You're just still mad about the con thing, aren't you? No, that was just the that, that what I was concentrating on that moment. Every, almost every single thing about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, I hate. Go into detail, please. Do I have to? I could, you know, my, my initial reaction to seeing the first one in the cinema was to uh, write something like an eight-page document about how much I hated the film, which resulted in a rather funny exchange because someone was like, 
Yeah. Well, what's well, what is your qualifications for saying that these people are bad? You know that this is stupid and doesn't make sense and this is terrible in continuity. What what sort of what's your backup? Why do you have the right to say that to these screenwriters and stuff? And I was like, well, actually, I'm an awarding screenwriter and an award you know nominated playwright. And they were like, uh, uh you're just you're just bragging. You're just trying to show off and say you're better than me. You eh? shut yeah. your mouth. You quiet. You. And I was like, no, actually, I, I wasn't trying to do that, but you asked. Yeah, you kind of you kind of opened the door there, Bucko. You know, I I do like a Doctor Who review series where I just review episodes that really annoy me, and I you know at one point I did a two parter, and one of my reviews for that video for that series is about two hours long. I I you know I plink at these episodes, and I'd spend the entire time bitching, and I could do the same for Star Trek, and I would start okay. off with J.J. Abrams Star Trek, and I could do a three hour video about that film. Which episode did you go off on for two hours over? Uh, well, it was the two-parter end of time. Oh, yeah, that one had some. But do you think that that the that the internet kind of focuses more on the bad of movies than it does on the good? Because how often do you see shows like yours, Brad, Spoonies, that say, you know what, this is a really good movie. You guys should check it out. Here's why. Because most of them seem to be. This movie sucks. This game sucks. This TV show sucks. Here's why. Do you think it focuses You're... too much on the negative? Uh, no, but there's a reason. But there's a reason why this is done, because negativity is easy. It's it's funnier than positivity, and it's what we're trying to do is also entertain. But but do you think that sort of going back to the prejudice issue prejudices people to? People have the ideal, and I don't think Spoonie meant this, but that, that they think Reb Brown is a terrible actor who plays the same character in every movie. And if you just know Reb Brown's filmography from Spoonie's reviews, yes, that's true, because Spoonie looks at the movies where Reb Brown basically plays the same character. But if you look at the other ones that Spoonie hasn't done, he's actually a pretty decent actor. I think the internet or the Spoonie's insane fans, and I'm not you know, bitching at Noah at all. I'm bitching at his fans. I think they have a very prejudiced view of Reb Brown's career, for example, because they only know him through Spoonie's reviews. And that's entirely that's entirely possible. But it's not really you know, it's not really Spoonie or anyone's fault that these people decided not to investigate Reb Brown for himself and had just taken Spoonie's word. Because, you know, Spoonie hasn't reviewed all of Reb Brown's movies. He just reviews the ones that he feels are, are entertaining. And, right. Uh, That's why I said I, I'm, I'm not blaming Noah for that. I just think – because I've encountered people that, that are like, hey, man, when are you going to talk about like Red Brown's filmography? Oh, man, he's the worst actor ever. And I ask him, look, well, what movies of his have you seen? And they, and they list all the movies Spoonie's done. And I'm like, have you seen those movies or have you just seen Noah's reviews of those movies? Well, yeah, I, I watch Spoonie's. There's a lot of people that that go in and they're like, well, this internet critic said this, so that is my opinion of the movie, and I will fight to the death for that opinion. And, and th yeah, and anyone who takes uh, me or Noah's or Brad's or anyone's opinion about a movie as 100% uh, truth, then they're fucking stupid. You only can have an opinion about our video about the film. If you have, if you've seen our video, if you have not seen our video, and you, if you've seen the movie, you can have an opinion about the movie. Until you've seen the movie, you can't actually have an opinion about the movie. 
not honestly. And see, some people will, would take me to task for movies I don't have any interest in, such as Joss Whedon's The Avengers. My hatred of Joss Whedon would poison me against that movie, no, whether it has faults or benefits. I have no interest in seeing it. So people keep building up that I'm judging the movie without having seen it. So I have to watch a movie I don't think I'm going to enjoy just to confirm that I might not enjoy that movie? No, you don't have to do anything, but the people are going to continue being twatty at you unless you do. It's, you know, it's, shit happens. Human beings are scum. Yes, they are. And I just think the internet sort of opens that up more. Because I, I see movies that that come out, I'm just talking like direct-to-video stuff, something Jowski would review on, on Antisocial or something like that. People that are really trying hard. You know, maybe they make a bad movie, but they aspired to more than that. And the internet just tears them to shreds. Now, taking the same quality of film, you go back into just the magazine review days, and they would have gotten props for how how much they tried and how elevated their their ideals were. I think the internet has sort of in, in, engendered the critics to of kind of an asshole philosophy, hasn't it? Um, no. Uh, pretty much. The internet has just taken what was already there, which is human beings are assholes, and it's made us able to communicate in much quicker and much easier ways, which means we're going to spread whatever communications we do it would normally with with much with more anonymity, which which is us being assholes. It's a side effect of just human beings being human beings. Makes me think of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. They are fucking clown shoes. I don't know. Are you Jay or are you Silent Bob? I would say Silent Bob, but I'm hardly silent. <laughs> I mean, look at the photo in your Skype right now. Come on. You've got the build for Silent Bob. Yeah, mm. I'm just not silent about it. See, Alex is the silent one, but he he uh, he looks a bit more like Jay. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you do. You you do kind of like lanky and and junkyish. Since we totally diverged, as we tend to do whenever we have you on the show, we rarely stay on topic. Where can we find Diamanda Hagen? Uh, Diamandahagen.wordpress.com or thatguywiththeglasses.com or uh, projectmillionentertainment.com. Where can we find Alex? Rarely has anything to interject into a conversation, Jowski. I interject plenty at geekjuicemedia.com. You can find me at the same geekjuicemedia.com, 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys.